Uh, we're about to hear a passage read, Carla's going to read for us this morning. Uh, a great passage, uh, 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 a um, passage from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, I was at the CMS conference on Friday. There are a number of, a few of us were up there for that. Uh, and one of the missionaries in training uh, shared that this passage uh, was one that for him was a turning point in his life and that led him to um, think seriously about the way in which God might use his life. It, it may not be as dramatic as that for you, but that's the power of God's word. That's, a, that's um, uh, the significance of what we are hearing this morning from the lips of Jesus and that um, uh, Tim will um, expound for us and preach to us. So um, we should come with uh, humble and expectant hearts as we hear God's word. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession uh, as we prepare our own hearts, which uh, so often go astray, uh, but which God always calls back by his grace. Um, we're going to pray this together. If you feel um, comfortable, please join me out loud. If not, you can just read the words that are, uh, uh, along in your head as they come up on the screen. But just to prepare our own hearts as we hear, uh, to hear God's word read and proclaimed, uh, I invite you to pray this prayer of confession together. Most merciful God, we humbly admit that we need your help. We confess that we have wandered from your way. We have done wrong and we have failed to do what is right. You alone can save us. Have mercy on us. Wipe out our sins and teach us to forgive others. Bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit that we may live as disciples of Christ. This we ask in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Our great God, as we come to hear your word, give us humble hearts that are ready to receive it, minds that can understand it, wills that are quick to obey in the knowledge, the certain knowledge of your great love for us in Christ. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five bags more. So, so also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one, one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bank, with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, I wonder if you think of yourself as a strategic person, or if you're a Christian, as a strategic Christian. Are you a strategic Christian? It's not often a question I think we ask. We often ask this question, am I a faithful Christian? God's interested in our faithfulness. And of course that's true and it's right and a good thing for us to think about. Are we faithful? But I want to ask, are we strategic Christians? You see, as you read through the Bible, you read through the New Testament, it's clear God is very interested in faithfulness, no doubt about it. But God is also quite interested in fruitfulness, what we are producing with our lives for his glory. And in places that fruitfulness is not just random acts of fruitfulness, but well thought through, if you like, strategic fruitfulness. Are you strategic as a Christian? And if God wants us to be fruitful as well as faithful, he wants us to be fruitful in things, of course, that bring glory to him, that advance his kingdom. And that's really important for every age, including ours. Here in Adelaide and South Australia, Greater Adelaide, I hope this, uh, you, you count yourselves as a part of uh, the Greater Adelaide area, we are under-resourced for gospel ministry. We are under-resourced for Christian workers. There's not enough, if you like, fruitfulness for the kingdom. There are thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people in our country who do not know the Lord Jesus, to say nothing of the rest of the world. And as our population continues to grow, as it is, and many of the mainstream churches continue to decline, to decline as sadly they are, we need to think about how can we be more fruitful. Now, of course, we do all this under the grace of God and under the sovereignty of God. But at the same time, let's not use that as a way of pulling back from the question and sliding around some of the things the Bible does say. We need to hold the sovereignty of God in tension with his call for us to be fruitful for his glory in his kingdom. And Jesus does explicitly call for his followers to act 
strategically as they think about being fruitful to his ends. And the passage we've just read is a great example of that. Now, uh, as always, when we read the Bible, we need to just think about the context. We're not doing uh, what we uh, probably should do most of the time, reading through the whole book of Matthew. I'm very pleased to hear that you read through the whole book of John, even if it took four and a half years. That's great. And you're going through all of Mark, so you should. Uh, here we're not doing that, so we just need to set ourselves a little bit of context. Uh, Matthew 24 and 25, obviously towards the end of Matthew's gospel, here we have Jesus speaking about the time when he will return, the time when he will return. So Matthew 24 uh, says a lot about the time when Jesus will return. Uh, and then as you get to the end of Matthew 24 and into Matthew 25, what we find is some nested, stacked up layers of teaching. Jesus has a few points to make and they all build on each other. And what they are all about is the time before he returns. So if Matthew 24 is largely about when Jesus returns, the end of 24 and into 25 is all about, but what about before that, before Jesus returns? Uh, in chapter 24, verses 36 to uh, 51, we get this snapshot of a servant who's uh, caught out not being ready for the master to return. It's a picture of someone being caught out, not ready when Jesus comes back. Now, I think churches teach on this quite a lot, and we understand this well. We say things like, Jesus could come back tomorrow, so you better be ready. He could come back today, so with any luck, he'll be back pretty soon, so the sermon doesn't drag on and on. This is a teaching that I think is, is not uncommon for us. Jesus could be back any moment, so you better be ready. Great, but let's build on that. Because what follows after that at the start of chapter 25 is this parable of the ten virgins, or in uh, some translations it says the ten bridesmaids. It's a story of the ten who go out to await the arrival of the groom who's coming for the wedding. Uh, and five of them have taken spare oil for their lamps so their lamps can burn all night, and five of them haven't done that. And the five who haven't done that run out of oil. And they have to go back to get more oil. And it's when they go back that the bridegroom comes and they miss out. And so what's the lesson there? Well, if the first lesson was Jesus could come back any time, be ready. The second lesson is, but he might not come back for a while. So be ready for a long wait. Be ready. He could come back any minute. Be ready for a long wait. It might not be straight away. And then we come to this third story, which builds on this whole discussion about this time before Jesus comes back. And it's our parable here called of the bags of gold. Uh, you might see in different translation of the Bible, it's called the parable of the talents, which is a kind of weight of precious metal, but uh, the parable of the bags of gold. And it's going to build more on this question of while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Now, the story is pretty straightforward in itself, although there's some detail we need to bring out so we understand it well. Uh, Jesus starts off with this parable. It's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Uh, now, we have servants here in our Bibles. We could have had slaves. The picture that... Uh, we have in the New Testament with the word they use is not really of a servant as we think of a servant, someone who might 
you know, take a job on Downton Abbey in a house, uh, being a domestic, a domestic kind of uh, help. Uh, but nor is it a slave. And when we think of slaves, I think, by and large, most of our heads run to the black slave trade in the Americas. But it's neither of those things. Uh, probably a, a bond servant is a, is a good word for us. Now, this person is not completely free, but neither are they chained in a cotton field. It's someone who the master has rights over, uh, and yet they still have some more liberties and better conditions. So maybe a bond servant. Anyway, the man is going off on his journey. He has these bond servants and he entrusts his wealth to them. And he gives them uh, what's here described as bags of gold. Uh, it, it may be that it was another precious metal, but we can run with gold. Uh, it doesn't really affect the, uh, the story. The important thing to work out is just how much we're talking about here. Now, if you go back to the language of talents, as I said, that's a measure of weight. And so if we read five talents, and think that's five talents of gold, well, you can actually go back to your ancient abacus and work out what that is in today's money. A talent of gold is worth, in today's equivalent, something like $1.2 million. Beg your pardon, that's a talent of silver. A talent of gold worth something like $40 million. So, Suddenly we see what this conversation is all about. This is a wealthy man, and he is not entrusting pocket change. He is entrusting a great fortune. To one, five bags of gold. Uh, my high school maths still works a little. If five bags of gold uh, worth 40 million each, that's something of the order of $200 million in today's money. Something of that order. To one, he gives these two bags of gold, so again, something worth perhaps $80 million, and to one, one bag, perhaps worth $40 million. So this, you can see, is big money, high trust, and also, as we'll see, great expectations for what these bond servants will do. The man has entrusted them with something enormously valuable, but he wants them to do something with it. He wants them to do something with it. Uh, in interestingly, we learn here that he gives to each according to his ability, his capacity to do something with it. Uh, and what that is becomes obvious as the story unfolds. Well, uh, the man goes on his journey, uh, and then when, he, uh, when he's away, the man who'd received the five bags of gold, we read, in uh, verse 16, went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Again, let's translate this. He put the 200 mil to work and he made another $200 million. If I meet this guy, I'm going to give him my pocket change and hopefully that'll be useful. Uh, so with the one who, with two bags of gold, he gained two more. Uh, but the man who received the one bag of gold went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So, seems a bit odd. Let's see what the master makes of this. After a long time, verse 19, the master of those bondservants returned to settle his accounts. So there's a reckoning. He's come back from his journey. And uh, as you might, when you come back from your journey, you'd like to know what's going on with your hundreds of millions of dollars. And so he makes inquiries. Well, the first two have turned a profit. 
they've done a great job, haven't they? Uh, the man who'd received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained another five. Well, that's fabulous. What does the master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Interesting here, isn't it? Remember I said we're talking about not only being faithful and yet being fruitful is considered to be faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Notice that. You've been 200, 200 million, you've doubled it. You've been faithful with a few things. It is to him pocket change. This is just almost play money. He says, no, no, no. Come, I'll put you in charge of many things. Let me show you the real wealth that I have to share with my bond servants. Far more than these bags of gold. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two bags, same story. Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Come, I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter your master's, uh, share in your master's happiness. So far, so good. But you can see, can't you, that uh, the pattern has an expected next step. And it's where this breakdown that the problem arises. The man who had received only one bag came. And the way this should go is, Master, you gave me one and I've made another one. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's not what happens. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you'd not sown, gathering where you haven't scattered, so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. Here, see, here's what belongs to you. The third did not do what he was meant to do. The third acted out of fear, and a fear that was born of a lack of trust, actually. A fear that was born of a lack of trust. I'll tell you why in a moment. He says to his master, your ways are unpredictable. Uh, you seem somehow to have this ability to, to cause incredible things to happen, like, you know, 40 million to become 80 million and 200 to become... That, that, that concerns me. I don't feel comfortable in something so unpredictable as that. I don't want to play this high-stakes, high-risk game, put everything on the table when these crazy outcomes happen. What I'd rather do is just keep things safe. Uh, and so that's what I did. That's what I did. I, I buried your, your one bag of gold in the ground, and here, I've given it back to you. It's interesting, isn't it? He didn't steal it. He didn't squander it. He didn't waste it. He returned it. He gave it back to the master. Here it is. You've lost nothing. But the master is angry and condemns this servant in very strong words. You wicked lazy servant you knew that i harvest where i don't where i haven't sown and gather where i haven't scattered well then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when i returned it would have i would have received it back with interest what's going on here is that this bond servant has shown has shown a great lack of trust in his master and he has shown that his heart does not care about what the master cares about. 
The master's concerns are not shared by this bond servant. First of all, he just did not do what he was expected to do. The clear expectation was, take my bags of gold and go trade with them, do whatever it is you do, and return to me something on this. That was the clear expectation. The first two got it, they understood. And he didn't do it. Now again, you might think, come on, it's a bit harsh. Overall, he started off with uh, eight bags of gold. Uh, he's come back, and instead of having 16, he's got 15. It's not too bad, surely. But the master's not actually interested in the gold. Remember, he says, these are a few things. This is, to me, pocket change. I'm concerned about something else. I'm concerned about something else. I'm concerned about your heart and whether you care about what I care about and whether you're prepared to invest in and work for the things that matter to me. I sometimes think of this bond servant a bit like, and uh, in this whole situation, a bit like uh, a worker in an office. You know, imagine if the boss in the office said, you know, I've got to go on some, away for some meeting for a week or something and I'll, I'll come back. While I'm gone, here's a pile of files. Can you please sort these out for me? Gives them to the worker. The worker, return, the worker uh, meets the boss when he comes back after this week and says, boss, boss, here are your files, just as you gave them to me. The boss goes, you, you lazy worker. I didn't ask you just to give them back to me without doing anything. I asked you to do the work. Do what had to be done. Bring the fruit from that labour. It's interesting as well, though, because here in this story, the master knows. The master in his greatness knows the capacity of each of the bond servants. Remember, right back in the beginning, uh, back in verse 15, he gave to each one according to his ability. The master has made an assessment. I know this guy, if I give him five bags of gold, can double it. I know that, so I'm going to give him five bags of gold. And I was right. I know this guy, if I give him two bags of gold, can double it. And he gives him two bags of gold, and he was right. I know this guy, who I give one bag of gold, can double it. I know he can do that. And he doesn't. The servant does not trust the master's assessment of him. He doesn't trust him. His fear is born out of a lack of trust in what the master has said he wants done and knows he can do. And verses 26 and 27 that we just read, uh, we see here even more of this servant's heart exposed. He didn't even put the money in with the bankers and get the interest. That was the bare minimum. All he had to do was plonk it on the desk, get a receipt, come back later, claim it with the 5%. He didn't even do that. Why didn't he do that? Because he does not care about the master's assets. He does not care. All he cares about is protecting himself, not getting in trouble for somehow making a mistake with this master who seems to be able to do incredible things, sow where he hasn't reaped and gather where he hasn't scattered. Uh, he doesn't want to play that game. He wants to protect himself. He has no interest in the master's assets, so he does nothing and the master is not impressed with receiving his bag back. He condemns him. He condemns him for his lack of interest. He condemns him for his faithlessness, for his inaction, for his lack of trust and a heart that really has no interest in what the master's doing. 
So this third story builds on those other two. Remember, start of chapter 24, Jesus says, I'm going to come back. Then that first story, you better be ready. Make sure that you're ready. It could be any moment. Then the story of the bridesmaids, but it might be a long wait. And then our story, while you're waiting, here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. And it's a message that continues for us now because we're still waiting. We still need to be ready. Jesus could come back any moment. But we need to know the wait might still be longer. It's already been 2,000 years. Maybe it'll be another 2,000. We don't know. And what should we do? Jesus doesn't just call us to sit in our hands and wait. You know, just sit tight. I'll be here. I'll go in for a bus. It'll turn up. No. Get to work. Be active. There are things that I need you to do. And the things that Jesus needs us to do are what? To grow his assets. To grow his assets. While we wait for Jesus to return, we grow his assets. We have a passionate heart for his interests. We give our time and our energy. We, we boldly and courageously take risks. We put a lot on the table to grow his assets because that is our purpose in this age while we wait for him to return. Please understand this, of course. I have to make this totally clear. This is not about earning our salvation. It is not about earning our salvation. Remember, the bond servants already belong to the master. They're his. They're in his household. They're, they're part of his extended family. It's, he's not saying, if you take this bag of gold and do well, I might take you on as someone in my household. No, they already belong to him. Just as we already belong to Jesus if we put our faith in him, if we trust him as Lord and Saviour. Our salvation is not something we earn by building the master's assets. Our salvation is won by our master when he died for us on the cross. He paid the price. He took our sin away. He wiped our slate clean before our heavenly father. That's what wins our security. And we're waiting for him to come back. In his resurrection, we see new life that endures for eternity, life in the presence with the Father. That's where Jesus ascended to. And we're waiting for him to come back. That's ours already. If you're a Christian believer, that's yours already. And if you're not a Christian believer, uh, please don't hear today that you need to go and trade with lots of gold to win God's favour. No, 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 no. Come and speak to Duncan and he will reinforce to you those truths of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, which is how you come to belong to God. But having said that, we have to recognise that this parable is saying, for those of us who do belong to the master and who do have that inheritance when he returns waiting for us, what are we meant to be doing? Well, we're meant to be doing what people with a heart for the master would do, with a passion for him would do, and work on what he cares about, and he cares about his assets, and he wants us to grow his assets. So the question is, what are his assets? What are his assets? Well, there's one level at which, of course, the whole creation belongs to Jesus, he's the Lord of all, but not all the creation recognises that yet. Not everything is rightly considered to be in the kingdom of God at the moment because not everything, not everyone recognises Jesus as king. His kingdom is still growing. It's not yet fully grown to its final extent. It's certainly not about money, is it? Jesus doesn't need our money. And again, these are small things to him. The kingdom is primarily about those... I've said something that has very much displeased the authorities here. 
Well, I'm sorry, it's still true. The kingdom does not, uh, the kingdom is about uh, those who are, uh, the kingdom is made up of those people who recognise Jesus as Lord and Saviour, those who say he is the king. So actually, his assets are his people, those who belong to him, those who bear his name. If you're a Christian, you bear the name Christ. You belong to him. You are one of his assets. And his message to you is, grow my assets. Grow my assets. There's two ways, I think, that we can think about growing his assets. You could think about growing Jesus' assets as growing the size of his asset, the size of his kingdom. Or you could think about it in terms of growing the depth, the maturity of his asset, of his kingdom. Whichever way you think of it, it's going to need us to put some, something into this. It's going to need time. It's going to need money. It's going to need energy. It's going to need our hearts. To grow the size of Jesus' asset, how, how do we go about that? Well, put quite straightforwardly, quite simply, it's what Christians call evangelism. Telling other people about Jesus. Spreading the good news of the gospel. Now, of course, remember, our master works in amazing ways. He sows, he, he reaps where he hasn't sown. He gathers where he hasn't scattered. Uh, it's actually his spirit that will bring the prophet there, that will turn people to him. But our job is to do the scattering of his word, the sowing of the seed. We need to have the good news of Jesus on our lips so that he can do that amazing work of growing his asset through his spirit working in people's hearts. If you're a Christian believer, you need to be involved in the work of proclaiming Christ. This doesn't mean everyone has to get a soapbox and go and stand in the mall and uh, a megaphone and uh, blurt out to passers-by. Some people think that's the way to go. But there's 101 other ways to spread the word. The only thing that it can't mean is not talking about Jesus. If you're not talking about Jesus, well, you're not doing it. But if you're talking about Jesus... Uh, that's how we do it. Talking about Jesus with people who aren't believers, telling them that he is the saviour of all, the Lord of all, that he loves them dearly and wants them back and they need to turn to him and repent. A great way to do that, to be honest, is actually just to invite people to church, uh, to invite people to come along where there'll be prepared messages, a great community of love uh, and where they can experience what it would look like to belong to the family of Jesus. So invite people to church. If you're a bit worried that people might think, oh, church is a bit daggy and so on, that's okay. People actually tend to find once they hang out in church for a little while, these are a nice bunch of dags. Uh, I, I like them. Uh, so don't let silly things like that stand in the way. Invite people to church, bring them along. Maybe that's not for you though. Maybe it's simply you could offer to read the Bible with someone. That sounds like an odd thing to do. But the times that I've done this with people who aren't believers, it's been great. Once you get past that awkwardness of saying, would you like to read the Bible with me? Or you could give them, uh, sometimes you get a copy of a gospel, one of the gospels printed up, give it to them, say, why don't you read this and scribble all your questions over it in red pen and uh, I'll buy you a coffee and we can talk about your questions together. There's another way. Uh, Maybe you can create an event around your work or your neighbourhood or Who knows what? And I actually don't want to give you all these examples because you'd be more creative than me and you know your friends and you know this area and you know what's needed. But the bottom line is this. As we hear 
this very strong parable where the master has called on his bond servants to build his assets, a key part of that is us, his people, taking that most precious treasure of all, the, the word of the scriptures, the good news of life, and sharing that with others. We don't want to have Jesus return and to say, oh, we had the word and we just kept it. We buried it. We kept it to ourselves and here it is back safe. No, we want to say we went out. We transacted. We went out in our community and we, we traded with this word to use this economic language. And lo and behold, people came to faith. Now, that's not up to us. That's up to the spirit. But we need to not hold it tight and, and, and fail to share it. We need to share his word. It's going to require time. It's going to require money. It's going to require, in some cases, courage. That's okay. We have all those things when Jesus is in our hearts. The second thing is not just size, but depth. What does that mean? Well, it means we actually need to minister to one another. We need to take the great wealth that Jesus has given us, the great wealth of knowledge, the great access to the scriptures, the great learning that we've been privileged to receive in past times and share it with each other so that we might build each other up in the faith, help each other grow in understanding and holiness and praise and obedience. It means that we're going to meet with people who are just new to the faith, baby Christians, although they might be older in years, and help them get past a Sunday school faith to something a bit fuller and richer. We're going to help catchphrase Christians into systematic Bible study. We're going to help confused Christians get clarity around doctrine. We're going to help Christians who only live in their heads start learning how to live their faith out in the world. We're going to help self-centred Christians learn how to live sacrificially for the sake of the needy. Again, it's going to require time, it's going to require money, but that's okay. We have those things and we have a calling from the master to do this work. So what could stand in our way? There's a lot to do, but I kind of think it's exciting. I kind of think it's exciting to think of all that we've been entrusted with and all we could go out and do and to wait and see what our master does with that. Wait and see what incredible results he brings from that and how exciting it would be. Can you imagine on the last day when Jesus returns saying, Master, you gave me so much and I went and did these things and look what happened. And for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, faithful servant who sat on your hands. Well done, good and faithful servant who got out there with the word and took it to the world and shared it with others. Well done. Come. That would be so exciting. That would be so exciting. And that's before us if we follow the teaching of Jesus here. And it's before us, not just individually, but corporately, as churches and as wider Christian communities. And here I will just say a couple of things, if I may, about my work at the Bible College. Uh, we don't see our work as an end in itself at all. Uh, we see ourselves actually as being a place where we train people up to do this frontline work of spreading the good news of Jesus to others and of building up brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we only exist to see Jesus' purposes here fulfilled. We want to see the master's assets increased and we think a place like the Bible College is a great strategic institution 
to leverage all the wealth that we have, and I'm talking about wealth broadly there in terms of knowledge and time and abilities, as well as our money, toward this end of seeing the master's assets grown. You see, churches need pastors, and uh, it's a sad truth in my job. I'm forever getting emails from churches saying, we need a pastor. Is, is there, can you recommend someone? Do you have? There are a lot of churches around South Australia without pastors who are looking desperate for pastors so we need to together work that we might build those churches up by supplying them with the leaders who can serve them and our ministry is not short term it's not something that you can see a quick return on Uh, some people will invest with us by praying for us for years and years on end some people will uh, give money to us, but they won't see an immediate return on that. It's, it's not like lots of the other great things we give money to. Our family gives uh, a bit of our money to uh, sponsor children in other countries in need, and we can see the return of that immediately. You know, we get letters from our agency saying, your money bought this thing, and, or you know, put a toilet in the village or something. We think, great, fast return. What we do at the Bible College is not like that. You invest now, and what it means is in 15 or 20 years, Some of those churches that need pastors will have pastors they can call on because they've been prepared. It's long-term, strategic, and it's taking into account Jesus could return tomorrow, but he might not return for a long, long time. I have three children, as I said. I want my children to have churches with well-equipped leaders, pastors, Bible study group leaders, elders. And if we're not preparing those pastors now, they just won't exist. What we do is try to see this parable uh, through, uh, try to do everything we can to increase the master's assets on that kind of larger scale. And so I'm really thankful for having been able to speak earlier to you today about what we do and asking you to partner with us. And I uh, will trust that to you to uh, think about what you might be able to do there. I do want to though uh, push back just on the, the very last thing and say, uh, one thing you might want to consider as well as uh, praying for us, as well as uh, perhaps giving financially to us, is should you think about giving yourself more and more to being a labourer in the great harvest field, a sheep for the shepherd? That is, could it be that one of the ways that you'll increase the master's assets is by working out if you have certain gifts and talents and Capacities that could be turned to more and more service of him, perhaps at a vocational level. Now, lots of people think, well, no, I, that's not what I do. I, I have another job or another thing that I do with my time. That's okay. You could change. I used to work as a scientist at the CSIRO. I changed because I felt like perhaps I could do more for the master in a different capacity. Not bad to be a scientist at the CSIRO. But I felt perhaps I could do more in a different capacity. So I want to throw that out as a final question and challenge. Just let that rattle around in your heads, hopefully annoy you in the right way. Is uh, one way you could increase the master's assets by giving yourself into the service of the master in a larger way. Now I trust you all do that. You are members of the church here week by week, month by month, year by year. But I'll put it out for even greater consideration. Uh, Friends, it's a a strong text, isn't it? Jesus has got some very strong words here. 
But I do want you to see the, how much it makes sense. And I do want you to see that actually taking on the charge we've been given is completely consistent with who we are. Makes sense of exactly why Jesus has not come back yet. Because there's still more work to be done. And can result in the most exciting and blessed words of all. Well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that you'll hear those words one day yourself. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have made us yours. We, are, we belong to you uh, and we were purchased at great cost, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have a hope, an inheritance, a sure future. We're waiting for him to return to receive uh, all that glory that will be uh, reflected from you when we stand in your presence. And we want to hear, Father, that in the meantime, you've got things for us to do. You've got things for us to do, not just sit on our hands, but get our hands dirty. Not just receive, but take what we have received and use it to build up what you care about. The body of Christ. And people who bow their knee before the king joyfully. Brothers and sisters becoming ever more mature in the faith. Father, we offer ourselves to you as your servants not to win our salvation, but to be who you have made us to be. Deployed for the glory of Jesus. Take all we have and use it for his kingdom. So that while we wait, we might be faithful in our fruitfulness. Amen.